All right, uh, before we jump into our passage and then the sermon, young ones, if I could have your attention, I'm going to tell you what this passage is going to be about because this is a new one from the Old Testament. I'm going to tell you what the message is going to be about. Um, I just got a haircut, so this reminded me of true story, y'all, okay? Trust me, true story. Okay, so my friend went to a barber to get a haircut. Friend, this, this crazy story that just happened to her. She's got a, she's having a nice night, and uh, it's a furless cat, you know, n- no, no hair, hairless cat. And so she's having a nice night with her cat, and she's petting her cat, and then all of a sudden, the cat's tail falls off. She falls off, and she starts freaking out. She's like, oh my God, oh my God. You know, the tail's like right there, and there's like, there's some blood. And so she's, she's crying, she's freaking out. She picks up the phone, and she calls her vet, like emergency line veterinarian. And, and she's describing to the vet what happened, and my friend, as he's <laughs> getting his hair cut, he's like... He's, she's like laugh, but uh, you know the she's telling us her she's freaking out. She calls the vet and she's like, you know, this just happened. The vet vet says, okay, uh, once you grab the tail and bring it in, uh, I think I think it's like this blood clot thing where you know there's just this uh, infection in the tail and half the tail fall off. Just bring the tail in. So she's on the phone. She goes, she's going. She sees the blood, but she doesn't see the tail. She's looking for the tail. She's looking for the tail. She's looking for the tail, and all of a sudden she hears this chewing, and she turns around, and the cat, the cat is eating its own tail, and it's kind of like, haggard, and eats the tail, and she now just, and is on the phone, and the vet, the vet is just like, okay, bring the cat in, bring, bring us your cat. Okay, so, so what? Here's the point. Kids, you are going to have hard stuff happen to you in your life. Like your tail is going to fall off. Like that's going to happen, okay? And, and here's, the, here's the hard thing. A lot of times the way we respond to the hard stuff in our life, we can actually hurt ourselves more. We can do damage to ourselves if we don't respond the right way. Like eating our own tail. And if you eat your own tail, not only are you going to hurt yourself more, uh, you're going to hurt and freak out the people who love you. If you're suffering and you respond the wrong way, it's not just bad for you. It's like bad for everybody. So don't eat your own tail. That is what the Old Testament book of Lamentations is all about. Seriously, that's what it's all about. It's about God who brings suffering to his people, his own people, in the way they respond. Lamentations is all about responding the right way, of staying with God, loving God, trusting God in the suffering. And that's what, that is what we want to do, is when the hard stuff comes, when the suffering comes, it's ultimately from God. Nothing happens to you if God doesn't want it to happen to you. And that is a good thing, but what that means is when the suffering comes, you can go to God and, and you can be sad, you can be upset, you can be uh, confused. Great, go to God. The right way to respond is when you're suffering and you're hurting and you're sad and you're upset and you're confused, go to God with all of it. That's what God wants you to do. God is so big, He can take you coming to Him upset, sad, confused, asking all these questions, what are you doing? Because doing that is actually trusting God in all of your suffering. Because He is the only one who actually really knows what He is doing in your life with that hard stuff. And He knows He's doing it for your good. He really is doing something good for you, even in the hard stuff. It's like going to the doctor. You know, when you were a little itty-bitty kid and you went to the doctor and you got these shots, and you're looking at your mom and dad like, what are you doing? This hurts. This is terrible. Why would you do this? You know, your parents can't 
actually explain all of it to you. The doctor could. The doctor knows exactly why he's giving you that shot. It's actually for your good, even though it hurts. And we can trust God like that. This last thing, kids, you know you can trust God and go to God in your suffering. That's the right way to respond because your suffering does not mean, here's what it doesn't mean. Here's what it cannot mean. It cannot mean God is punishing you. It can't. It can't mean God is mad at you. It can't mean that God's abandoned you because of Jesus. Because you have Jesus, Jesus has already taken all your suffering, all the punishment for your sin, for your mistakes. If you have Jesus, you know that the suffering in your life, whatever it is, it's actually for your good. You may not ever understand it, but you can trust Jesus. When you look to Jesus, you can know this is hard, but it's good, and your sins are forgiven, and God has not left you, and this suffering, it will not last forever. What lasts forever is heaven because of Jesus. This is what Lamentations is going to teach us this morning. Uh, what we like to do, everyone, what we like to do is we like to work through books of the Bibles, uh, books of the Bible in our sermon series. And uh, sometimes, you know, we want to work through every single book of the Bible. Some books take longer than others. Romans took us 26 Sundays. Uh, we're going to do the Old Testament book of Lamentations this morning in one go. Okay? Next week, we're actually going to take the Song of Songs in one go. And these two songs, Lamentations is a song, Song of Songs is a song, these actually go really, really well together because one, today is about the depths and kind of like the fall of Israel. Song of Songs is about the fullness of Israel, the height of Israel in its kingdom, theocracy. So let me set the stage real quick. In the Old Testament... After many years, after many generations of these kings, you know, David, you remember King David, Solomon, King Solomon who built the temple? Uh, in that line of kings, throughout the generations, you've got some good kings, but mostly bad kings. And then at the, you know, and then the kingdom falls. Israel falls. There's the fall of Jerusalem and Israel in the Old Testament. There's the exile when uh, God sends his people into exile in uh, Babylon. That this, what Lamentations is about is not just one single event. Uh, it's about a series of events. All of these catastrophes, the succession, you, know, you can go 608 BC, 605 BC, 597, 587. Uh, this generation that experienced all of these catastrophes of slain kings and sieges and deportations, this is what Lamentations is about. Uh, the fall of Israel. So we're going to read samples, uh, selections from Lamentations. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against His Word. But hear all you peoples and see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. The Lord determined to lay in ruins the wall of the daughter of Zion. He stretched out the measuring line. He did not restrain his hand from destroying. He caused rampart and wall to lament. They languished together. The Lord has done what he purposed. He has carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. 
The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. So Lamentations is about the fall of Israel. Babylon attacks the land of Judah repeatedly, destroys into exile. And it, but we've got Old Testament prophets that tell us about this, uh, all of this, the, the history of this. So why do we also need a song about it? Which, it actually, that is, may not be the question, it is a really good question. Like, what do we need a song? We've got all this other stuff. Why do we need a song about the end fall of Israel? If you go back to the beginnings of Israel with Moses, uh, with Israel, right before Israel enters into the promised land of Canaan, like they've come out of Egypt, they've gone through the desert, they're, they're, here they are, they're on the borders of Canaan. They don't just get the land. You know, God's giving them the land, but they're all, they get it. They got to go take it. They have to go to war and they have to clear out the inhabitants. Uh, and so Israel is standing on the border of Canaan about to go execute God's judgment on foreign pagan nations. And right before this terrible conquest, Moses teaches Israel a song. And it's a song that is a prophecy. And this prophecy is against Israel. This is against themselves. You can read this song in Deuteronomy 32. Israel learns this song right before they're about to go conquer these foreign nations for their sin. Israel learns this song that is God's witness against them in the future. It's a prophecy about when God will bring His judgment on Israel for all of their sins, for when they become just like the pagan nations that they're supposed to go judge. Okay, Lamentations is, for you music people, Lamentations is the antiphony to that Mosaic song in Deuteronomy 32. For those, Lamentations is the response. It's the bookend. It's the response to that song that Israel learned right before the conquest. One Old Testament commentator says Israel's history had run, you know, of Lamentations, Israel's history had run true to the pattern foretold in Moses' song. It's all come to pass. So over the generations, what Israel had done, they go in, they, they conquer the land, then you got David, good king, Solomon, and it all starts to go really wrong. Uh, over the generations, Israel had abandoned over and over and over and over again the God who had saved them out of Egypt, who had rescued them out of slavery. They instead turn to false gods and they start worshiping the, the false gods of the pagan nations, the surrounding nations. They start worshiping the Baals and the Asherahs. They start worshiping the stars. They start sacrificing their own children in the fires of this false god Moloch. And they provoke God's judgment and wrath. And God sends the nation of Babylon as judgment against Israel. The author of Lamentations is this unnamed, he's unnamed, this person is unnamed, but the earliest tradition, 
Both Jewish and Christian tradition say that the author is the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, Lamentations, it's got the same figures as Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, which is this prophetical book. Uh, the same phrases, the same temper and tone. Uh, and so, yeah, it's probably Jeremiah, but whoever, whoever wrote the Song of Lamentations, this person is an eyewitness to the horrors and to the tragedies that are falling on God's people here at the end. And so the emotion here, you go read the book of Lamentations, it is raw emotion. And it has a specific rhythm and structure to it. As one Old Testament commentator says, each of the first four poems is a complete acrostic, which is acrostic means like the first letter in each line is the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, it says the fifth poem contains 22 lines corresponding to the, to the number of letters in the Hebrew alphabet. In chapter 3, not only the first, but all three lines of each strophe begin with the appropriate letter of the alphabet. An odd detail is that except in the first poem, the I and Pei, these are letters in the Hebrew alphabet, the sequence is reversed. And he goes on and on, like this thing is just in, he says, so the emotion of Lamentations is both spontaneous and raw and it is a work of conscious art. First, I'm going to do an illustration. There was a psychiatrist. Uh, this man was a, a counselor, uh, and he was a seminary professor, Dr. David Pallison. He describes the problem something like this. Uh, he, he asks, what is an ocean wave? You just think about it, like, what is an ocean wave? And according to Oceanography 101, a wave is nothing more than a disturbance that moves from place to place in, in some medium, carrying energy with it. The common waves of the ocean, as well as the greater ones occurring during storms, are oscillations of the sea caused by the frictional drag of the wind on its surface. For such waves, a general equation is C equals the square root of G to the power of L over 2 pi times 2 pi times D over L times T A N H, where C is the velocity of the waveform, L is the wavelength, T A N H, which probably means something else, means the hyperbolic tangent, D is the depth, and G is the gravitational constant. And Pallison, who is a lover of oceanography, points out like, yeah, that's true. But it puts the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Like, is that how you, is, think about you, if someone asked you, is that how you would describe an ocean wave? Or would you, or what words would come to mind? Would you say things like rushing, like rushing water, uh, you, calm and ferocity uh, can lift you up? can hold you down, can carry you away. Uh, the sound, sometimes like sometimes it's rolling and it's peaceful, and sometimes it is crashing and it is roaring and it is thunder. I mean, a wave is nothing more than a moving disturbance caused by the frictional drag of wind on the ocean surface. Tell that to someone who is lost at sea. Tell that to a sailor who passed through such extreme crisis of activity in the middle of the storm, he didn't know his fingernails had been ripped off as he was holding on for dear life. We too often, here's this, we too often read the Bible sliding into abstractions. Like God is real, God is love, God loves his people, God wants his people to be good and to love others. Okay, and in all of that, God is impersonal. And He's far away, and He doesn't grab you. And Lamentations will not allow it. Lamentations sings of the wrath of God. 
and Lamentations sings of the grace of God and reveals to us that this is all very personal. Because this is about the judgment of God's people. Lamentations is not about the judgment of the world. Uh, This isn't about the judgment of the foreign pagan nations. It's not about Egypt. It's not about Babylon, not about Persia, not about Greece, not about Rome. Lamentations mourns the judgment of Israel. The judgment of God's people. This is God's own house. This mourns the judgment of the city of God on earth. Which raises another question. Well, I thought God was merciful and gracious. Like, how can Israel be cursed for their sin and their idolatry? And it is because of this. And we can only do this in 30 seconds. It is because of this because the Mosaic Sinai covenant, because that covenant, the Ten Commandments, Moses bringing down the Ten Commandments, making this covenant between God and his people, uh, that covenant that Israel entered into at Mount Sinai, it is a covenant of works that promised blessings to the nation of Israel for obedience and that warned curses for disobedience. It was not the same thing as the covenant of grace, which is how an individual gets to heaven. That's not what the Sinai covenant was about. And the Sinai covenant didn't change the Abrahamic covenant of grace that came before it. It's laid on top of it. This is about the nation. Abrahamic covenant is about individuals. Uh, So the Sinai covenant didn't change it, but the Sinai covenant was about Israel holding on to the land of Canaan. The Sinai covenant was not about how an individual gets to. Sinai covenant made Israel a theocratic kingdom on earth, a typological, a nation of Israel gets to retain the land of Canaan was to obey the law. Obey the law to you know, love God, love your neighbor, all that stuff. And if they disobeyed the law, and if they turned to idolatry, if they turned away from their God and worshipped idols, they were going to be kicked out of the land. We'll return to this, all this, this huge picture. But th- this book, it, it's, not a prophecy, it, it's not a prophecy about the Babylonian exile. It's happening. Lamentations is singing about it. It's, like that is, it's a response to it. And we want to say all that, that Lamentations is also prophecy. That, that There's tons of prophecy in the book of Lamentations because Lamentations sings about the hope of Israel's return. And God does actually bring them back. After 70 years of captivity, God brings them back. Persia comes and takes it, you know, destroys Babylon, judges Babylon, and they free Israel and say, anybody that wants to go back, you can go back, you can rebuild the walls, you can rebuild your city, you can rebuild your temple, go for it. And they do. God brings them back after 70 years. And Lamentation sings about that, sings about the hope of restoring the temple uh, and reclaiming Israel. And Lamentations also points forward to a final catastrophe on Israel, because this is not the final one. The final one, Jesus laments. Jesus sings about it in Matthew 23 and Luke 13. And, and, and at this point, you know, Israel has come back into the land. You know, they've rebuilt the temple. Rome has come in and they've occupied everything. And it's not that Israel is now worshiping Baal again. It's not that, you know, they're worshiping Asherah. They're not sacrificing their children again. They're not worshiping Zeus. They're not worshiping the, the pagan gods, the Romans, the Greeks. But Jesus accuses the leadership of the people uh, that they have become thieves and perjurers. That the temple has become a den of thieves. Does that sound familiar? 
But the height, the height of the idolatry of Israel at the end is forsaking God as they bear false witness against the Son of God and they reject the Son of God and kill Him. That is the height or the depth of Israel's uh, faithlessness, unfaithfulness. And Jesus knows this is coming and He laments of Israel. He says, your house is left to you desolate. And just as God sent foreign armies to, in, in the past, so He sends the Roman army as His judgment in 70 A.D., destroying the Jerusalem temple once and for all. And that's His transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. There's so much we could talk about in Lamentations. We can't do all of this. But Lamentations is looking, it is also, so it, yes, it's a prophecy even about the, the final fall of Israel, but it's even looking beyond that too. It's looking beyond the, the fall of Israel. It's looking beyond the, the kingdom of Israel on earth. This is also a prophecy of life beyond Israel itself, beyond the, you know, what will be the old covenant. Lamentations, it's also like the, the tears of Adam and Eve as they were driven into exile out of the Garden of Eden after they sinned. That's really what Israel is. It's, a re, it's this picture of what happened to Adam and Eve on the grand stage of history. Can mankind receive blessing based on their works? No, we just we don't do it. We fail. And then we're judged for it. Lamentations is like the tears of Adam and Eve as they're driven out of the, out of the Garden of Eden into exile after they sinned. The threatened curse had come for their sin and they leave, but even as they leave, there is that prospect of restoration, redemption. There's still hope. And one commentator points out about, about Lamentations, it, you know, maybe you picked up on this uh, as we read it. It's like, wow, it starts off so sad. Whoa, there's awesome hope. Oh man, that ended on such a Debbie Downer. Okay, the ebb and flow, this is one commentator says, the ebb and flow of emotion through the five poems of Lamentations is very instructive. The flood of lament is allowed to increase continually in the first two poems. But when in the climactic third chapter, it threatens to become overwhelming, faith and hope take control, drawing strength from the memory of the sovereign goodness of God. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit, and you have taken up my cause. O Lord, you have redeemed my life. So yeah, the, 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 the lament goes on for two chapters with great sorrow, and it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And the way it's structured is you anticipate the crescendo to be just absolute despair. Like reaching rock bottom, and there is no rock bottom, and that's it. You anticipate that crescendo right in the middle of the song, going down to the depths, reaching under despair and abandonment, and then all of a sudden at the last second, the funeral dirge takes on a new note. And now it is a song of hope. It becomes a song to book uh, of hope, even though it then goes back to the lament to bookend what it is, a lament, but in the middle. It's a song of hope. And it becomes a song of hope that sounds like our confession of faith this morning. It's a song of hope that sounds like Job's song. When Job is in the midst of losing everything, Suffering all the things, Job sang this, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's the song of the Gospel that praises God's power 
in putting enmity between God's people and the devil. Because when does Israel hit rock bottom in the history of its kingdom? It's right here. This is it. This is it right here. Lamentations is rock bottom in the Old Testament. So this Old Testament commentator says, Satan is in the midst of lamentations. Like what's going on in the history of the world right there as the world is watching says Satan is beguiling the nations into interpreting Jerusalem's captivity as proof of Yahweh's impotence and as proof of the failure of his saving purposes. And in the midst of that, this God raises up a faithful witness, the author of Lamentations, who has, who has to share, he has to share in the judgment of faithless Israel. But here as you're reading this, like, don't think Oceanography 101. Like, does this not pound you, rush you, like thunder in your ear, the redeeming and sanctifying power of God's Word and His Spirit in the lives of those who take up this song. I mean, the victory of God in the heart of His people, this is everything, right? The victory of God in the heart of His people is right here. You see it in the fact that they are crying out in sorrow, but they're crying out in prayer to God. And they're not blaspheming God. Yes, they're sad. Yes, they're, they're, they're upset. Uh, and they rightly interpret this judgment as the punishment foretold in the curses of the Mosaic Covenant. This is Lamentations 2.17. The Lord has done what He purposed. He has carried out His Word, which He commanded long ago. And yet, in that hour of judgment, they sing about the hope of restoration. Which means... Lamentations is ultimately, yes, Lamentations, it is ultimately a song of triumph of faith and therefore a triumph of grace. Let me, put it, let me try to... One of the criminals crucified next to Jesus uses his last words to mock Jesus as an idiot and a, and a fraud. The other criminal on the cross next to Jesus uses his last words to correct the other criminal. And he says, he's done nothing wrong. He doesn't deserve this. We do. We are being executed justly. We deserve this for what we have done. He knows he deserves judgment. This criminal knows he does. Then, with his last words, he turns to Jesus and he cries, but please. Nothing of he's done nothing wrong. Come into your kingdom. This criminal really does believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That he's dying not for his sins, but for the sins of his people. And that very shortly, this Jesus is not going to be dead anymore. He's going to be alive and he's going to be reigning as king in his kingdom of heaven. That's a triumph of faith and grace as this criminal then begs Jesus for grace. That's the triumph of faith and grace in the heart of that criminal facing not only judgment from the world, but facing judgment in the next life before God. That's the triumph of faith and grace being sung in, in lamentations. And here's the it, it, so what for us? This is the song right now that we presently sing in the church. This song that proclaims that we are friends of God as Satan tries to crush us with the deception that God doesn't love us, that God is weak, that God has abandoned us. This thing that you hear from the devil of, look at your suffering, look at this terrible world, 
It's God's fault. Can you really trust him? Lamentations is like Job. It's also like the Psalms. It, it is a call to repentance. It's a call to prayer when you are in sorrow. A call to go to God in your pain, to go to God in your grief, to go to God in your anger, in your confusion. When you mourn, you should mourn like this. And you don't repress, you do not repress your deepest groanings. But you also don't abandon all hope. You'll, you'll know that line, uh, that saying, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. It's a line from Dante's Inferno. Uh, and and, and uh, according to Dante's story, that's the inscription over the gates of hell. And that is true. There is no hope in hell. And it feels like it outside, but we are not in hell. And that is, like, it, it, like that is, it, uh, of course, which means of course there is hope now. Of course there's hope now. Here in this world, in your life, in the midst of your mess, in the midst of your tragedies, and like Job, lamentations, it summons us like the Psalms, even the church, whatever God is doing in your lives, however long it seems God forgets about you, we keep trusting that He hasn't. That God is at work in our lives for our good, and He never has, and He never will forget us. And, as you lament with God, don't lament with God alone. Don't just lament with God alone. There, there are parts that sound like an individual lament in the, in the book of Lamentations, like chapter 3, uh, but even, even that funeral dirge of chapter 3, it's expressing the common tragedy of the people of God. It's expressing the common tragedy of the covenant community. This is the author's personal tragedy, yes. And it's his brothers, and it's his sisters, and it's his friends, and it's his neighbors' personal tragedies. And you've got to hear this. You are not alone in your struggle. You are not alone in your suffering. Whatever your suffering is, you are not alone in it. And, and, and I know it's hard because it seems like, especially in a place like Houston, especially in a place like the church, it seems like everyone else has it together. And the truth is, no one does. We are all an absolute mess on the inside and the outside. Every single one of us. And you can come here and you cannot have it all together. You can come here and you can be a mess. And we'll be messes together. And lament together. And I know here, right at the end, I know, lamentations, one go. I know that is a lot to take in. Uh, but what that should encourage us is like drinking from a fire hydrant. I know what should encourage us is, is that our history, the history of God's people, this is our history. The history of God's people, it is rich, it is profound, it is so deep. So here's one more, so what? Uh, it, coming back to Israel, Israel is, like what is Israel? Israel is a microcosm of the world. It's a microcosm of all mankind that we have all broken that original covenant of works in Adam, which was about how an individual gets to heaven through works, through obedience, a perfect life. We have all, Adam broke it, and in Adam we have all broken it. And personally, we have all broken it. God's message of Israel to the world is that if God judged His people first for breaking His law, then He's going to judge all peoples who have broken His law. And all peoples have. 
The judgment of Israel is a red flag. It's an alarm bell. It's a loud, visible message to the world. It is a parable in history that you must run to the one and only true Israel who did what none of us could do, who did what Adam failed to do. Because Lamentations is also a prophecy about, we said it's not about judgment of the world. Yes, it is. It, not first and foremost, but then it, then it is. It is a prophecy uh, of final judgment. The tears of Israel here being taken away to captivity to Babylon from her paradise, a land of milk and honey, it is a picture, it's a, it's a warning of final judgment. And the judgment on Israel, it's like the judgment on the world in the flood with Noah. It's like God's judgment on Egypt in the Red Sea. It's like God's judgment on the pagan nations in the conquest of Canaan. All of those are warnings. All of those are intrusions from God into space and time warnings, foreshadowings of real ultimate judgment to come. And the miracle of the cross of Jesus is final judgment intruding into time and space for Jesus' people. As Jesus takes the judgment and wrath and destruction that we deserve in our place to save us and make us a new temple you are the temple of your Lord and Savior. As He blesses us with His presence, as He indwells us with His Holy Spirit, as He preserves us now until He calls us home to His heavenly kingdom. Israel, Israel was full of believers and unbelievers. And this is one temptation of the church. Sorry, there is one more. So what? One temptation of the church today is we want, there's this temptation to separate more and more the believers from the unbelievers. The believers from the false professors who are going to get the church in trouble. Uh, and the temptation is to start adding to the gospel. To make that separation uh, clearer, you add qualifiers. Who really believes? Who doesn't? So you, you got it. Yeah, you got to believe in Jesus and you got to do this. And be sure you're also doing this. And, and, and you know, better to do that. And it's easy for people like me to start pounding their fist uh, from the pulpit. It's easy for people in the congregation. Uh, when we see sin and to become more threatening. And it's because in the church we think we can really separate true believers from false professors. And, and what the church can end up doing is actually causing even true believers uh, to, um, to doubt. And we stop preaching free grace. And when you start, stop, sorry, when you stop preaching free grace, you start filling true believers with despair. And true believers start to worry, what if I'm not saved because I'm not spiritual enough? What if I'm not advanced enough in my theology? What if I'm not doing enough good in the world? What if God is going to judge me? And I, did, I had lunch with a fellow pastor who told me he grew up in a church that preached the law because the pastor of the church said if he preached grace, then people would go off living licentious lives. And this pastor remembers his family coming out of worship on Sundays so dejected, so beaten down. When you turn a sermon into a warning, you better do this. You steal their hope. You steal their assurance. As they wonder if they're good enough for Jesus. Do you worry about all the goats in your church? You know, this thing between the, the sheep and, and the goats at the end. You know, Jesus is going to separate the sheep, the true believers from the goats, the false believers. And this man asked Martin Luther, don't you worry about all the goats in your church when you preach free grace and justification by faith alone? And Luther said, no. I preach to the sheep. I preach to God's people. The law wouldn't change the goats anyways. If the gospel doesn't change them, nothing will. Why would I ever stop preaching the gospel? 
Our hope for the future is one is our day. The church will sing a new song in heaven. And it's what we opened with. It was our call to worship, that Revelation 15 song. Told you, here we are at the end. Revelation 15 describes the church in heaven standing by the sea of glass that's on fire somehow, singing the triumphant song of Moses and the Lamb having gotten their victory. The people of God having gotten their victory over sin, death, the devil, all the forces of evil. The curse of sin, it is going to fall on us. The question is, are you alone when it falls? Or are you with Jesus? If you're alone, that is the last word and you will fall forever. But if you are in Jesus, that curse as it falls on you, it falls on Jesus. And He takes the fall for you. That you will never fall. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank You for uh, the song of Lamentations. As hard as it is, uh, as full of, uh, of grief and tragedy and awfulness as it is, Lord, we, we do see a picture of the fallenness of this world. And Father, we see the hope that is held out to us in the Gospel of Your Son, Jesus Christ. And so we pray that we would hold on to that hope Father, that we would be able to sing as Job sings, that we would be able to sing as the psalmist sings. Would you give, you take away, blessed be the name of the Lord, as we know that we truly have everything that we really need in Jesus Christ for this life and for the next. Lord, help us to hold on to grace and help us to hold out grace to one another. Here, to anyone that wants to hear it, we pray in Christ's name and we pray it for His glory. Amen.